Hey everybody and welcome, it's Craig from the University of Applied Research and Development and it is our honour to have Paul Makita with us. He's the Lead Emergency Preparedness Specialist at Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital. Hey Paul. How you doing? So good to have you with us. Thanks, thanks for having me. So we've done a couple of talks before and, and one that was really interesting was where you talked about setting up an incident command centre, which I've had some really great feedback from, particularly good. from our students in the, in the Bachelor of Emergency Management. So that's it's really valuable and I'm delighted that as a, as a senior emergency manager such as yourself, with a lot of experience and originally boots on the ground. I have experience, also. I'm not senior. <laughs> Well, let's let's talk about your incident command center and and what's happened in the last year because obviously it's been um, it's been a busy time, Paul, and you've made time to to share with our students. Yeah, we've, as well. yeah we've 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 definitely been tested over the course of the last year. Um, you know, there was this thing called COVID. I'm not sure if anybody's <laughs> heard of it, um, but it kind of hit hit our region back in March of last year. Uh, prior to that, I think our longest hospital command center activation was a matter of two days, maybe three days for a tropical storm or, or weather event. Um, this one saw us activated from, I believe was like March 4th, straight through to like May 22nd. So that was the longest, longest wow. activation that, that anybody that's in the hospital ever remembers. Um, it was actually kind of interesting because it was long enough that we were actually able to evolve the incident command structure as the as the event went along. Um, now that whole after action report improvement project type process um, that we used, I mean, granted we still had them, um, but a lot of the ones that were command center based um, actually were resolved by the time we identified them in the in the report because it was long enough that we actually you know progressed through the process so can you give us an example of some of those things that have changed over this period of time um you know a couple of things that kind of came up uh was our the better integration of uh of technology i believe when when we did our when i, when I did my presentation with you uh we were pretty much we were we were a couple of laptops, a uh, couple of office files, um, you know, but sharing of those files became very, was, was rather difficult, if not, you know, not possible because of the, the setup that we had had. Um, so subsequent to our little talk, we actually went through to our information technologies, uh, got each of the laptops to sign on as a different user account. And what that actually allowed us to do during COVID uh, was actually start sharing files. So, mm -hmm. for example, now we had a tracking board for call taking and a, and a tracking board for resource requests. Um, historically, they had to be two separate forms, and then I had to call you to say, hey, I just got this request. Uh, we were actually able to leverage the strength of uh, MS Office, excuse me, or Microsoft Office, and actually set up a sharing component so that you and I can both be in the same file and any changes I made would automatically update on your screen. So, you know, what what we found with that though is um, as, as we're progressing, it still requires us to be on site. Um, so a couple, couple of things that we're looking at now is taking our, our technology involvement to the next level and looking at a web-based platform um, that would allow specifically uh, our administrators on duty who serve as our incident commanders to, to be able to jump into an incident 
um, ahead of you know what they do now, which is uh, the requirement of travel time. Right. And what are some of the things that you would put in place to enable that to happen then with that implementation? Um, well, a lot of that is well, identifying a platform, um, but what that is is uh, making sure it 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 it, it jives and uh, coincides with the the program that we have established. Um, no, one one of the the downsides I found to in, in doing my research for a lot of these is they're very uh, black and white, for lack of a better phrase. They're very they're very very structured and very defined, um, and they're well defined for a field setting, not necessarily for a hospital or a healthcare setting. Right. So the, the trick is trying to find something that has the end user flexibility enough that allows us the ability to to modify. The job descriptions, or you know, or even a title, um, to be more in line with what healthcare or our hospital has developed as a incident management process. Not that's not necessarily an incident command process, but incident management process. Um, then, with that is going to, you know, I'm already working on it, or you know, ahead of the time, uh, plans for education, who identifying who we're going to have to put in play for the different areas. Uh, obviously, you know. Anybody who's going to serve in that incident command role or a functional area role is going to have to have some sort of training in it, um, you know. And then it's just you now on the on uh, on the back end of that too is also um, the amount of work that's going to go into it. Um, I've said for for years that you know for any any task there is a set amount of work that has to go into it. If no, if as the developer I want it easy on the end user, there's more work on my end to make sure all the background stuff is squared away, so that all I have to do is click a button and it and the and the the program does what I want it to do. No, if I can care less about that, it's going to be more work on the end user side, which is going to be more education. So, now once we once we kind of settle on a platform, the game plan is to is to try to get all this stuff squared away. Mm. We were talking before we went live that the members of your team are from other departments all around the hospital. And so this is not Correct. their major gig Correct. doing emergency no, management. And, and that right there is, 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 the other, is the other component of this. Um, you know, whereas uh, my colleagues in the field who do emergency management for a county or, or something else, you know, they have a team that all they do is emergency management. Now, you may, you may, be, you, you may be a, a, a hazmat you know, person, but your primary role is emergency management. Here in the hospital, because we don't we don't have that that structure, um, 99.99999% of my staff that would staff the the command center during an activation are directors or leadership from a clinical or a non-clinical department. So anything that get, anything that's put into play has to be easy enough. Um, or simple enough, for lack of a better phrase, that they can transition to some. To, they can transition in their head uh, to the new role, um, which may be a role that they may have done, you know, last week if they were on call, or it could have been a role that they did a year and a half ago, depending on, mm. on how our activations and our processes go. So it's it's and, and it's with that is also the aspect of the the education is unique as well because how people think on a clinical setting is not how they think in a non-clinical setting 
you know, and, and neither of those are necessarily applicable to how they need to think during an emergency. So because you have people that are not specialists in emergency management and they're coming from other areas, does that change the way that you do your incident command system or process? Um, not necessarily. Uh, it does change how we set things up. Um, you know, one of the things that kind of came, once again, is, is, a, is a development uh, partially out of COVID, partially out of other activations, is in most command centers, what you would see is people wearing the vet, the, the, the vests we all, we all know about. Now, incident commander, operations section chief, planning, logistics, so on and so forth. Uh, we've actually, we still have those vests, but we've kind of pushed them to the side. And in turn, what we've done is we've developed uh, place card holders. So it's an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. And it has, and they're color coded by, by function. Um, incident command is green, operations is orange, logistics is yellow, so on and so forth. Um, and on both sides of those, um, it has what the what the role is, but on the side that's facing the person in that role, we actually have on there a um, a section, a, a, little, a little bullet point section of what they're responsible for. So that right. one form kind of serves as a job action sheet, um, and we kind of and we and we basically wrote it out in in um, layman's terms. You know, so it's like, uh, so it'll sit there and say, you know, the role of the incident commander is to work to developing the objectives. But underneath that, we have in parentheses the what needs to be done. You know, so we kind of kind of have kind of set it up so that we that the, the job action sheet itself is the translation between the regular everyday duties and what the command center is. And so far, we've had some pretty good success with with people make, making that transition easier with with a good chunk of the staff. Is your team physically located in one place? Um, as part of the command center compartment, mm -hmm. yes. Um, I mean, well, the core group is. Um, we do have we do have personnel that that are that are in different locations. You know, logistics is usually down in the storeroom. Know, um, which is part of this push that we're now having towards going towards a, a platform that people can access from anywhere. Um, we've been able to integrate GoToMeeting, which is our system, which is the, the platform that our system chose to go with um, as a result of COVID, uh, integrate that as part of our incident command role. So usually what we'll do is we'll, we have a, a meeting room that we set up and we just leave that meeting room open for the entirety of the incident. Um, and we'll, we'll schedule certain times that, you know, logistics, I need you to be in this meeting at, you know, 115, you know, so they can be wherever they want. They can just jump into the meeting. We can do our quick, our quick little synopsis, and then we can kind of move things forward. Um, done for two reasons. One, obviously social, so, social distancing as a result of, as a result of the pandemic, but also, um, what we found is, you know, and as most of us probably will find. The more people you put in a small location, the noisier it gets and the harder it is to get things accomplished. So if we can we can try to do things uh, from a distance, we're finding that to be be beneficial. No, we're just looking for something that's gonna give more more feedback, more real-time feedback, um, as opposed to waiting until 115 to hear from you. Right. Is your hospital in the process of delivering vaccinations and are you involved in that? Uh, yes, we are. Um, we started doing vaccinations for our staff back in December. 
Um, I am presently not involved in it, but I, I was involved in, in some aspects of the planning to set up. Um, we had not had a mass vaccination plan. I'm sure most of us haven't had a mass vaccination plan for any of our any of our, our processes. Um, but as part of our, our management, I don't even want to say philosophy, but part, part of a management lessons learned, um, we figured that we'd look to see is there anything that we presently have or currently have that we can apply to you know, the vaccination process. Uh, with that, we actually wound up modifying our uh, closed point of distribution plan. So we actually have a plan where you know, if there was a, a biologic attack, i.e. anthrax or something like that, that we would be able to distribute medications that come to us from uh, our county uh, mm -hmm. to our staff as a closed point of distribution for antibiotics. Um, took some finagling, took some, took some number, no, numbers wrangling, uh, but we were actually able to pretty successfully convert that to a mass vaccination plan um, that kind of became a, a, a central component of, of what the hospital wound up doing. Um, you know, starting in January or so, January, early February, we actually, uh, at the request of our uh, State Department of Health, um, actually opened it up to, as a community pod, uh, mm. community vaccination pod, uh, which became even more of a challenge because now, before it was all staff, you know, if something happened, it was, you no know, whatever it was. Um, but now we're, now we're trying to, now, now we're trying to coordinate things with, with the community and messaging and route to travel inside the hospital, um, you know, and just transport. I mean, I, I remember back in back in February, the majority of the people that were coming in for vaccinations were in their in their 80s and 90s, and most of them mm. were in wheelchairs, and they mm. weren't allowed to come with anybody else. So we now had to figure out how to because wow. of social, because of social distancing. So we right. had, we in turn had to figure out how to dedicate staff just to transport people from the main lobby to the vaccination clinic. It was definitely, definitely interesting. Hmm. I was speaking with Dr. Quinton, who's on our faculty. He's an MD in okay. Guernsey in the UK, and he was talking about um, managing the process of deploying the vaccinations and the impact that it has on workload across the entire hospital. If people need to do their own jobs, but yep. there's also this workload involved in managing that has become the most important issue for him as the leader. Yeah, um, we actually, are, our, our, our vaccination clinic is staffed by volunteers. Um, mm. So what, what they've done is they've actually taken, um, uh, a lot of our directors, are filling that role or people in, in, you know, those types of positions. Um, but even at that point in time, they'll be at the clinic for, you know, four or six hours, you know, doing, doing their part, but their workload underneath them for the regular workload doesn't, doesn't change. Mm -hmm. Um, so now you have people that are responsible for multiple departments, you know, basically off the radar for a couple of hours. Um, it, it definitely trickles down to them having to have trust in in the staff and the, their their leadership underneath them uh, to manage to manage the things while they're doing this. You know, for lack of a better phrase, really important function. Hmm. I wanted to ask about after this year and this being a very long incident um, hmm. and people responding. What are some of the areas that you think um, could deserve some research? And attention. Um, 
in reality, you know, and this is this is just me being what's what I'm looking for. Um, preferential, uh, no healthcare response, you know, and not just acute care response, just just healthcare in general. Um, I've I've learned over 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 the the years I've been doing this, um, both on the EMS side as well as the acute care side. Um, both in the ED and as a nurse and, and now this position that um, not so much research and probably research uh, as to how to best do it, but all of these functions, all of these processes are very disjointed. Um, mm -hmm. There's what happens at one level, uh, it impacts all the other levels uh, as a, as a two-way street and people really don't, don't think about it. No. What happened? How how EMS packages a patient uh, during an MCI and where they choose to transport that patient to has an impact on how that patient's managed in the hospital. No, if it's if no, if they're sending you no know, the the fiftieth patient to a hospital that has you no know, forty nine others. You know, and there's another hospital down the street that has ten. You know, how those patients at that one at that first hospital are going to be are going to be managed is remarkably different than how they're going to be managed at their other hospital. No, mm -hmm. just like you know, nursing homes. No, how hospitals discharge patients to nursing homes is as important as the nursing homes being there to help facilitate the throughput, to help with the patient management, to help eat, help fill the ED space, so that EMS has a place to drop the, has a place to drop the patient off. Um, no, then that just that whole whole coordination uh, definitely is is an area that that probably should be looked at because you know it. it it just keeps falling apart for lack of a better phrase. Right. Is that one large organization which has all of those parts inside of it or is it separate organizations? Um, in the United States, they started putting together oh, a couple of years ago, they put together these healthcare coalitions, um, which has representatives of each of these sections. Um, they tend to be a little bit more for lack of successful. Uh, that's actually even the right word. Um, in the more rural communities where there's 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 a heavier heavier hit on that uh, interdependence um, no but as as with most things uh, you, you sometimes get hit the aspect of you know you, you and I may be a hospital working in, this, in the same county but my hospital is a different different healthcare system than your hospital mm -hmm. uh, what comes the incentive for us to kind of work together um throughout, throughout the whole process um so in some aspects they do exist um in other aspects i mean in a lot of aspects they do exist you know in other aspects some are more efficient than others uh depending on on, on how it goes and and what goes into the back end of it yeah that sounds like a really important point um what do you think would solve that is it a communication issue is it a systems issue what is it um, that's the million dollar question issue. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it is, I mean, it's, it's, it's part of its, um, you know, as, as we've spoken about in, in other, in other sessions, the mindset for emergency management is different than the mindset for every routine, everyday business. Um, and I hate to say it, but in a lot of cases, they're mutually exclusive, you know, you can sit there and have all these regulations come down saying that your facility has to be prepared for A, B, and C, um, but they become unfunded mandates. 
So what what you wind up with is you wind up with institutions at at all levels, healthcare and private and public and whatever, um, doing things to check the box. Now, and so, so you have these, 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 these regulations, which are truly designed as a foundation, as, as a, as a, as a benchmark that you start from, not mm. the roof that you end at, um, not truly being realized because, you know, there, there's the, the business of emergency management is, is, is not necessarily good business. Right. To make sense. Yeah. Paul, the last time that we, Spoke all the time before. I asked you if someone wanted to get into into your line of business and follow you in your career. What would you suggest, given hindsight in the last year as, as well? What would you suggest that people do with some learning experiences to prepare themselves? Um, you know, as with most things, a lot of this, a lot, a lot of a lot of these things are, are very very region specific. Um, no, I tend to find I, I have a lot of colleagues who do healthcare emergency management, um, and they they are EMS based. You know, they're 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 phenomenal when it comes to managing a, an incident in the field, uh, but it's not necessarily the same management style um, that you would see inside a hospital. Different different objectives, different different priorities, you know, different tasks associated with those priorities. Uh, anybody going into a healthcare type setting, um, I would definitely recommend um, getting into that sector first, um, making and, and learning it. Um, you know, I, I often tell people I've been, I've been doing EMS twenty six years. I've been at the hospital here, going on twenty one. Um, you know, I've been around the block enough to know how the how the pieces interconnect. Um, and not, and and more importantly, how they should interconnect, um, which allows me to kind of steer conversations and develop guidance um, that's that's operational and can actually be used by by my colleagues and coworkers. You now, even even in the event that I'm not that I'm not present to help manage the emergency, so I would definitely say you know get into the field first as a non-emergency role. Um, and then kind of develop that those connections to move yourself in, in, into something that, that's more defined for what you're looking for. Yeah, that's really valuable. Paul, any final words for our watchers, our listeners, and particularly our students that are doing our Bachelor of Emergency Management? I mean, obviously, they know, obviously you know how to, how to get a hold of me if you have any questions. Um, so, I mean, by, by all means, you know, you know where to find me. Awesome. We would definitely put your link on your link to your LinkedIn profile in the the recording of this. Thank you very much, Paul. Thank you for your time and your expertise and um, your experience is really valuable for us. So thank you so much. Once again, thanks for having me.